My sermon is very short, hopefully just about 10 minutes or so, and then when we're doing communion, there's actually going to be time for uh, adoration and thanksgiving and supplication and testimonies from the church family. We'll have a couple of microphones, and uh, there's some people giving testimony, but if you feel led uh, to share, you can share a memory verse, or you can share a verse from the Bible, you can share... Uh, just a, a quick story of how God's been good to you uh, or a need that you have and have us pray for you. But there will just be a time of, of worship and prayer as a family at this communion. So it will be a little bit different. Uh, so just start adjusting your thinking that way. And uh, But it will be good. So um, 1 Corinthians 11, we're back. We're off of the, the uh, You Asked for It series. And we're at, in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to finish off the last chapters of Corinthians leading up to Finding the Hope and the 40 Days of Community. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 32, the Apostle Paul is uh, talking about communion. He's talking to this church in Corinth, and uh, he's writing them a letter, and uh, he has heard about how they've been carrying on in their communion services, their Lord's Supper, and he's not all that impressed. And so he writes this letter as a corrective, or this section of the letter as a corrective uh, to the church uh, to help them explain what the Lord's Supper is supposed to look like and and what's supposed to be going on there. So let's read uh, the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, is it not for the better but for the worse? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you have no houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and drinks, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what is this in the foundation series? You remember you had all the bricks up here and we were going through grace and all these different foundations and I didn't make the guys haul all those bricks in again to restart it for five weeks. But um, the foundation of this one, I would say, the foundational teaching underneath this is congregational worship through the Lord's Supper. If you look, this is something that, that Christ established uh, on, the, on the night that he was betrayed at the Passover feast and it was given to the church to remember forever the sacrifice of Christ so that we would never forget and we would continue to proclaim it until his return. And so foundational to the church of Christ is communion. This is something that for 2,000 years the church of Christ has been doing and uh, it would be hard to find anything much more. It's definitely in the top of the foundation stones of the church. And so congregational worship through the Lord's Supper is foundational to who we are as a church. And what is the Lord's Supper about? How is it 
uh, worship and how is it foundational. And the key thing there is that it's about unity and it's about fellowship. You realize as you sort of look at that text as Paul is as teaching, he's saying um, in verse 18 and then in 20, he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, and so you can imagine now in Corinth or in Jerusalem or any of these different cities that the church is all these different people meeting together as Christians. They found this hope. They're meeting. They're singing psalms together. They're meeting in homes and they're eating. But then there's this time when they come together. On the first day of the week, they would come together as the church. And then in verse 20, he says the same thing. When you come together. And so the takeaway here is that it's done together. When the church is gathered, communion isn't really meant to be done apart from the church. And I don't mean that for any legalistic reasons, but simply because it misses the mark when it's done that way. And I wouldn't stop communion from being shared apart from the church. In other words, if you've gotten together as a small group and you felt it very meaningful for you to do communion as a small group and to pray, you know, it's not a rule. I wouldn't stop communion from being shared apart from the church. It's not a legalistic thing. But here's what I would say. I would be cautious of that type of sharing communion was not happening in a way that was somehow minimizing or superseding the unity of corporate communion. In other words, it's not God's intent that we would all be out in our own homes with our own little circle of friends uh, that we like having communion with each other. It's God's intent in communion that it's the church gathered when you come together as a church. When you come together, you share the Lord's Supper. God wants to see the family together at his table as much as possible, not fractured up, you know, eating in our own rooms. You know, one, you know, one family member off in the bedroom, another guy in the living room watching TV. You know, that's not, that's not supper. The Lord wants to see the Lord, God wants to see the Lord's Supper together. Communion is a unique corporate congregational experience. And so the the thrust behind what Paul is teaching here is when you come together. When you come together as a church, there should be unity. And he actually addresses that issue of unity. He says there's there's factions among you over this. You know, and and factions for the wrong reasons. He indicates there, it's an interesting verse, which I don't have time to get into. I'd love to. But he says, you know, there are valid reasons for factions. (laughs) There will be separation among you because we have to separate the genuine from the false but not this kind of faction where you're all offering communion or having communion differently and and not together so god wants to see unity the very act of communion is meant to restore unity as much as possible within the family the whole spirit of the gathering is to be sensitive to the needs of others you see what paul is teaching there very very generally paul's not upset uh, about sort of exactly the the technique of communion per se, but what he's most concerned about is that people are being gluttons and they're they're eating before other people get there and they're just being careless and they're being senseless and and they're more focused on the food and the drinking than they are on Christ and there's people who are in need and they're not getting anything and the people who have a lot of money have this big banquet and, and so Paul is concerned that the very nature of communion is meant to foster Community is meant to foster care for one another, not carelessness and selfishness. And that's why it's the Lord's Supper. And actually, interestingly enough, that's why traditionally the Lord's Supper has become what it has in communion that we have today. You know, you come to church and you say, oh, we're going to separate, you know, we're going to have the, the Lord's Supper. And then you get like a square of bread and a little tiny sip of juice. It's like, that's not supper. <laughs> I, I've had much larger appetizers at very expensive restaurants. And... Uh, But that's why traditionally the Lord's Supper has become so small. You know, communion in the early church was also called the love feast. 
And it was a feast. It was a reflection of Passover. It was a reflection of the last meal that Jesus had. And so they would get together. They'd have these big spreads and they would eat. And Paul was saying, you know, you're eating before people get there. Some of you are even getting drunk. You're eating and drinking so much at these love feasts. And in the spirit of this text and in in light of this teaching, our communion has become very minimal. And it's become very minimal on purpose to address what Paul is rebuking that the communion is not to be self-indulgent, that the Lord's Supper is not to be focused on satisfying ourselves. The Lord's Supper is not to be focused on the food and the drink. It's to be focused on the unity of the body of Christ together and the focus of our need for Christ, focused not on the pleasure of self and and not on the need for uh, our own satisfaction. You know, we have our homes to do that in. We eat to satisfy and nourish ourselves at home. We come not to share a meal that is meant to satisfy our stomachs, but we come to share a meal that is to remind us to seek satisfaction in Jesus. And so that's why the Lord's Supper is a very meager meal. It's very small. It's very uh, limited to the fact that we are not here to nourish ourselves. We're not here to be self-indulgent. We're here to be unified in Christ and unified in our need for our satisfaction in Him. And so there's a rightness towards each other that's connected to our rightness with God that that Paul is teaching here that that it's not going to be honoring God. And in fact, you are eating and drinking judgment on yourself when you're eating in this disunified way, when you're eating without the fellowship of others, when you're not caring for the needs of others and you only care about your self-indulgence. And so the first thing is this idea of unity, that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is unity, and that's why we do it. We do it all gathered together as the church because it's a unique corporate worship experience for us. There's this rightness towards each other that's connected with our rightness to God. And God wants us to be right with each other and in fellowship with each other as we come to approach Him in communion. But the main thing here is is three points on why communion is corporate or congregational worship. What is it that makes it worshipful? And what are we going to sort of focus on today as we look at communion as worship and really extend our attention and draw out our participation in communion this morning? The first reason that it's worship is that it's reminding us. The bread in verse 24 and the cup in verse 25 are both indicated by the Apostle Paul as symbols for us to remember. He says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here's the worship part. It's worship when we, in our own minds, remember what Jesus has given up in death for us. It's worship when we remember what Jesus has done. And we'll have time in a couple of minutes for each of us to remember all that Jesus has done for us individually and corporately as a family, and that's worship. The idea here, Paul says, is that this is a foundation of the church. This is something that you're going to do time after time after time after time after time. I mean, Paul didn't realize it, but for 2,000 years and for who knows how many years after, you're going to gather together and you are going to worship God by remembering what Jesus has done, remembering what he gave up in death and remembering what Jesus has done in our life. So the first stage of communion as worship is that it's remembering, that we take time to quiet ourselves and remember everything that Jesus has done for us corporately as a church and for us individually as people. Secondly, it's worship because it's proclaiming. In verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And so we remember first, and then it just naturally follows that after you take time to remember all the things that Jesus has done for you, then you want to proclaim it. The greatness and the sweetness of Jesus is brought to our minds, and then once we have that in our minds, we want to proclaim to each other what we remember. If you love something or you love someone, you talk about them, right? As you sit and you think about, you know, it could be a grandchild or it could be a daughter or a son or it could be, you know, somebody who you love, a father, and you're remembering them and you're thinking about all of the things that they mean to you in your life and then it just kind of spills out of your mouth, right? You start talking about that grandchild or you start talking about that father or that mother or maybe just someone who is a a teacher to you. If you love something or you love someone, you speak about them. You recall the times that they were with you. And the Lord's Supper is worship when we proclaim what we remember to each other, which helps us all because we all don't remember the same things at the same time. And so the proclaiming of the things that Jesus has done for us is an encouragement to all of us because someone will say something over on this side and you'll think, oh, I totally forgot. He did that for me too. Or somebody will remember a story about how Jesus you know, did something in the, in the, in the, at Lakeside at the church here in the past, and you think, oh, I'd forgotten about that. And so proclaiming helps us remember. And it's an encouragement as we proclaim to each other, and it's worship to God as we proclaim and speak the things that Jesus means to us, that we remember the things that Jesus did in our life. And so proclaiming and remembering kind of work together for greater encouragement. And we're going to have a chance to proclaim to each other what we've remembered. We're going to have testimonies of the goodness of God and his provision, but also testimonies of our need for him. And we get to proclaim our weakness. We get to proclaim our nature of needing God, which is also worship. Thirdly, so there's remembering and then there's proclaiming. And then thirdly, it's worship because of the nourishing. This is worship because as we keep coming to Christ to refresh and feed our souls, it's a profound act of worship. We keep coming to this cup to drink. We keep coming to this table to eat because Christ is the source of our nourishment. And nothing shows the value of Christ more than the fact that we come to him again and again and again in need of him. Right? When do you feel valued? Right? When you're teenager finally comes to you and says you know what you were right i need your help (laughs) right don't you start to feel valued as a parent at that point you know after you know 10 years of them telling you that they know everything and you're stupid you know and then uh you know your teenager and i'm I'm not speaking from experience because my son he never does that i'm i've just heard other parents i've heard other parents say this so on the testimony of other parents i i hear that it's frustrating that that uh you know, you know, finally that day comes when your children come back to you and they say, yeah, you know what, you were right. I, I actually need your help on this. I need your advice. And, and you understand how that makes you feel valued, right? Well, God doesn't need to feel valued, but it's the same thing that God understands that we are most satisfied in Him, that we are most understanding of Him, that we are most worshipful of Him when we admit our need of Him. And so when we come and we are nourished not nourished by the bread and the sip of juice, when we're nourished spiritually by confessing our need of Him, that's worship to God. Because God knows that His kids finally get it, that His kids are in need of Him. And He's able to help because our hearts are open to His help. And so the nourishing that is evident here, and and, and it's not Paul that's teaching it, it's actually Jesus that taught it at the very beginning. It's not in the text. When when you look at it, you say, well, I, I saw where you got the other ones out of the text. What's the verse for this one? It's not in the verse. It's all the verses. 
The fact that the communion is worshipped through nourishing is present by the very nature of the ceremony of the symbol. The Lord's Supper is a supper. The symbol of our need is to eat and drink. It's as demanding of us as our need for nourishment. God could have instituted any sort of symbol for us to remember by. Right? When Jesus was there at the Last Supper, he could have done, I don't know, a handshake or some sort of dance or a ritual prayer. Like, it could have been anything. Jesus could have instituted any sort of symbol for us to remember him by, but the symbol that he chose for us to remember him by is a supper. And so there's a reason for that. It's the unity around the table that we talked about. It's the fellowship of sharing together. It's the fact that we need nourishment, and so the nourishing comes out of the very symbol of the fact that it is a supper, that it is bread and that it is wine. It is eating and it is drinking. And so this is not ordinary eating and drinking. The nourishment is not for our bodies, but it's for our spirit, and it's worshipful to God. And so we come today not in physical need, but in spiritual need. We come today to communion to proclaim God in our remembering, but also to seek God in our hungering. And so we believe that there's a real feeding on Christ spiritually by faith, not on his physical body, but on his real spiritual presence. And so even though a believer can nourish ourselves as believers, we can come to God at any time. You know, we can be driving in the car and we can seek that nourishment and we can go to God in prayer and receive that nourishment. Or we could be lying in bed or we could be at work and we can go to God at any time. A believer can go at any time for that nourishment. The reality is the instruction here, the commandment here, is that there's a special kind of nourishment right here today. That even though we can do it when we're alone, even though when we, can, we can do it driving in the car or singing in the shower and we need nourishment, we can go to God. Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, God is saying, there's a special kind of nourishment that's in communion. There's a special kind of nourishment that is in the Lord's Supper when we do it together, gathered as the church. And so in just a few minutes when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we may nourish our souls by faith on the spiritual presence of Christ. That's our opportunity today. And in in the next few minutes as we are remembering and proclaiming his death, he manifests himself to us as infinitely precious. The fact that we are remembering, the fact that we are speaking these things is the evidence of our love for God. And it's a sign of our worship. And so he shows us that all God's promises are, that are ours in Christ are, are, are shown us through communion, that this is food for our souls, that we're nourished and we find strength to live as Christians through this time of communion with God. And so that, that's our aim, that we would remember, first of all, that we would be unified, <laughs> first of all, that we would be unified together as the church, but then that we would worship through remembering and proclaiming and being nourished by what God is providing through this Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father God, we're going to come now to you and have a time of just being able to give testimony and pray and uh, father i just pray that as as we have this time we would prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to share and to listen to each other and to join the others in prayer even if we're just praying silently ourselves and that we will be able to be encouraged and lifted up by what's shared and that we will find courage to proclaim and that we will remember all the things that you have done for us and be nourished. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.